Hello, friends. Great to have you here on the Coffee and Beer podcast with Nick and the Doctor. Today, we're going to be catching up with Brandon Maddox, the CEO and owner of Silencer Central. He's going to tell us about his latest products, catch us up on what we've talked about since uh, we talked to him back on episode 27, so it's been a little while. And we're also going to walk through my personal journey of having uh, gotten a silencer from Silencer Central, and I'll be able to actually share my personal experience along with Brandon. So looking forward to that today. Let's say hello to a man that has recently trusted me to hold on to his very valuable herbicide, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. And Mike, to me, that was that was like even bigger than like, hey, can you watch my kids for a weekend? Well, it is. I mean, especially when you're kind of a like a person that really is particular about their their lawn. So when you have to custom order a special herbicide just to just get your lawn in order and you're not in state and you need someone to pick it up so it doesn't sit in your front porch, you call someone that you can trust. And that was you. Well, I appreciate it. And it makes me nervous. Like I, I appreciate being trusted, but I'm nervous being trusted because then all of a sudden it like adds this pressure. If you said, Hey, just, Hey, grab this package off my porch. And like that, you know, I didn't know the value of it or something. It'd probably be easier, but I sort of felt this pressure. It's like my, my in-laws went on this long trip, uh, RV trip across the country and they're actually on their way back right now. And so there were some responsibilities we took on, but the one that gives, makes me the most nervous is, is uh, Angela's dad has this orchid that he got somewhere and it had these beautiful flowers and this thing was in our house. And it's like, you, you have to take care of this orchid and he's put all this TLC into it. And it's like, it's just, it's freaked me out and I'm afraid to even go in the room with it. So anyway, uh, yeah. Hey, happy to do it. And uh, hopefully uh, it all works out for you there. I think it will. All right. Hey. This is an Ask NDA Anything episode. And so let's just jump into that right away because we got a, a couple here, a couple good ones, and I think we'll generate some conversation. So let's jump into them. The first one is from Chris in Virginia. And he says, uh, I'm doing a timber cutting on my farm this summer, and the loggers are using about an acre of a logging, uh, about an acre for a logging deck, pretty big logging deck. Uh, it was cleared with a dozer, and they pushed the topsoil off to the side. After logging is complete, they're going to put the topsoil back on the deck, but I'm sure it will be compacted to a point where it'll be hard to recover. What can I do to recover a compacted plot of land and make it usable again? I'd like to either turn it into a food plot or plant mass-producing trees. So I'm going to take this one first, Mike, because I actually have, let's see, one, two... Three, I think three of my food plots, at least two of them, the, the one I'm not sure, but at least two of them were old gas well sites, which essentially is very similar to uh, a timber deck, a, land, a landing deck. So uh, the first thing I'll tell you, Chris, is don't necessarily assume that it'll be super compacted and you can't use it. Compaction is something that takes usually a fair amount of time, even though they've had heavy equipment and whatnot on there. I mean, I'm sure you have some of that. One way to resolve that though, is if you have access to a disc, a little light disking, we'll turn that up and get it loose. Uh, especially if you're going to be turning it into a food plot where you're planting seed that really only needs, you know, a certain amount of depth, if you will, to, to develop that root. And you'd be, you'd be surprised at how powerful those uh, roots are that can actually work themselves into the soil. 
and so I don't think it, it'll probably be as big of an issue as what you're thinking, but I would recommend disking. I don't know that you really need to get in there with like a heavy duty plow or anything. I guess it just depends on the situation. It's sort so it's sort of sight unseen here for us. Uh, but I will say that I think this is a very wise use of your space. And so, um, you know, you already have the area opened up for you. It sounds like it's going to be sort of an interior kind of plot. Uh, hopefully it's getting enough sunlight to it. It's an acre, which is good. You can get a lot done on an acre. And so I think it's a really great idea to do what you're going to do there. Um, but like I said, if you can avoid it, don't get further heavy equipment in there if you can avoid it. And I think uh, things probably won't be quite as bad as you're thinking. And if you're planting trees, that that that'll be should be even less of an issue. Mike, what do you want to add to that? Um, I think you covered most of it, but there are a couple things that you can do if you actually really fail at generating a food plot or if trees beginning to die off. But the first thing I was thinking of is you can actually handle it via nature by uh, your planting and making sure that you're selecting the appropriate planting. Something like a like a tillage radish, like the one of the names brand names is called like a, a groundhog uh, radish or groundhog tilling radish which are very adept at getting that taproot down through the soil and as they expand and as moisture and rain occur they actually create these voids or loosens the soil earthworms if the area is rather healthy earthworms do a great job at tilling as well and so just keeping the soil covered not letting it get dry which you know i mean by getting some kind of cover crop on there and keep it shaded from the sun and just let earthworms do their job uh, chicory also has a very deep taproot not nearly as dramatic as a tillage radish but uh, chicory would be able to get down there and get uh, break up some of that uh, subsoil as well and then lastly the mechanical things they actually make subsoilers that you can pull on a small tractor or an atv uh, anywhere from you know i think some of the more inexpensive ones are 70 dollars up to 300 dollars um, and all you'll do is they just rip the soil for you and open it up to depths where roots can begin to work and then over time and you build up that organic matter you'll actually have a decent place to grow whatever you really want yeah yeah i think those are great additions mike and you know over time it's going to take you some time i guess is what i'll say you might be surprised and you might find out that things will grow really well i'm going to take a wild guess and assume you're in Virginia and you've just opened up an area that's been in the woods for a long time. You're going to need some lime in there. I would automatically expect you to have pretty acidic soil. So I would focus on that. And like the doctor said, allow that soil to improve over time. And, and over time, less tillage will actually be more. So maybe you just break it up this one time and then you work on some no-till uh, techniques to, to help build that soil there. So anyway, great question. And uh, let us know how it goes with that food plot. All right, second question, very timely question here. This comes from Alex in Kentucky. And this is something that I always, I continue to struggle with myself here, but uh, Mike, you get to go first on this one. So Alex says, do you save all of your trail camera photos or just the ones of bucks? I guess what I'm asking is, how do you store or track your pictures? Because it's something I struggle with every year. So Alex, thank you for asking my question <laughs> because I think, I think the same thing. I know Mike and I have a little bit different answers here. So I think this would be good. You're up doctor. All right. So do I save all my trail camera pictures? The answer is no. Um, I save all of the bucks that are of an age class, anything from two and a half and up just in case I develop any trends uh, because 
like let's say for example a two-year-old buck likes to frequent a specific part of my property that if i know that he was not taken I'm assuming he will be showing up in that area again as a three and a half, et cetera. So I try and keep those pictures. But for my doe pictures, I do keep doe pictures, but this is how I do it. If there is a concentration of doe activity where they are on a trail more consistently than other trails, I keep that information and I start um, using data of do bucks start showing up during the seeking and the cruising phase of the rut and even the chasing phase because it gives me a chance to potentially let the doe act as a lure if you will to potentially put a buck in front of me during the rut so if i have an area or a camera that's picking up a lot of like consistent doe activity and then I pay it close attention to all of a sudden do is there a certain date or a range of dates that bucks start to show up on these trails that are seeking these doe that gives me a great opportunity so i do keep those types of doe pictures as well okay so yeah i i guess it depends on the situation too is is my answer because i like what mike just said about tracking does now so there's different things right so my own personal land i have learned that pretty quickly i know where i can expect deer to be and typically when so i am not as diligent about keeping doe photos um, now I will, I, I do save a folder every year for just really nice photos. Occasionally your cameras take these really great photos and are even of a quality that you can use, uh, you know, if I'm writing an article or just to share on social media or whatever to just save high quality pictures. So I'll save some of those. But at this point on that property, I'm pretty much just deleting most of the doe and fawn photos uh, and, and focusing like the doctor uh, said he does on bucks and trying to get a little better beat on them. But even, even in that case, I pretty much know how the deer movement goes on my place. And so now I'm using it more or less just to verify what bucks are in the area. And so I don't save all of the pictures. Now, ironically, I do have these folders and folders going all the way back to the early 2000s when trail cameras were first being a thing. And I need to go through those and delete a whole bunch of pictures that none of those deer are even alive anymore. And I'm not even hunting those properties. So there's no need to really save those unless you've got something really cool and unique uh, that you want to save. And as far as storage of photos, man, I've done so many different things over the years. Uh, right now, I have a pretty sizable folder, uh, just a um, just a OneDrive uh, that, that holds my images. But then yeah, I see other people say they use things like Google Photos. And they create albums on Google Photos of different deer that they want to look at, which I think that would be cool, too. And it's very easy to share photos from those platforms. So uh, I wish we could give you a, a better answer. Hopefully this helps a little bit. But uh, we do not save, the doctor and I do not save all of our trail camera photos. And it is definitely trail camera season. And so I've already got folders piling up, Mike, of pictures that I got to get organized. Every year I say, you know what, I'm not going to let myself get disorganized, but here I am again. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Okay, we got to give away a hat, and I'm going to go with Alex in Kentucky. Uh, Alex, you're getting a hat. Your question is just very practical, and I think something that a lot of people are facing right now, this time of year. So we'll get you a hat, send me your address, and make sure to get that in the mail to you. All right, let's go ahead and get into the interview with Brandon Maddox of Silencer Central.
excited to welcome Brandon Maddox back to the Coffee and Deer podcast. Brandon is the CEO and owner of Silencer Central. He was a guest on the show back on uh, episode 27. So I would encourage you to go back and, and check that out uh, as a refresher. Uh, but also, you know, my introduction to Brandon, I always like to introduce the guests first, just sort of from my perspective. And, uh, you know, Brandon is a big time outdoorsman. Uh, I, most recently, he's been on a prairie dog hunt, a bear hunt in Idaho, which my favorite place to hunt bears, by the way, he shot a beautiful bear there. He's been hanging out with the Duck Commander, Medal of Honor recipients. His daughter's a track and field star. Brandon, it just seems to me like you're living your best life right now. Yeah, let's hope so, right? Feels good. <laughs> no complaints. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly fun following, you know, on, on your social media, all the things you've been up to. So you've been out there, you've been busy. And also selling a lot of products as well, which we're going to get into. But uh, if you don't mind, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your words? Uh, sure. So, um, you know, I, I guess I sort of fumbled into the whole uh, silencer world and um, just honestly started out prairie dog hunting and thought, gosh, there's got to be a better way, especially if you go to a place to shoot where they've been shot at and they kind of get it. They, they go under pretty quick. So really, it was just to kind of benefit myself. And then the license is pretty expensive. So there's a little pressure from the wife that, you know, if you're going to have your own license to get your own silencers, you better sell a few to pay for that. And what I realized is that um, people were like me, they didn't like the process. So it seemed like a natural business opportunity to create a better process. And um, I think what probably has helped me a little bit through the, you know, navigating the process what i did learn is you know when i first started doing this in 2005 there was really no playbook and there was no there's not even really good information online about the whole you know suppressor market and process and whether they even worked so it's kind of you know learn it all as you go which is typically better you can come from a different environment like i did and you know just sort of absorb yourself into it but you know my background is a pharmacist so I'm licensed in three states, and every time you get licensed in a state as a pharmacist, you have to take the federal law and the state law, and that's kind of the way firearms are too. Every state can have its own set of rules, and so can the Fed. So it's been good to kind of have that awareness to walk into situations, and that's kind of, I think, been a good foundation for me to, um, you know, scale the business to be in all 42 states where they're legal, to have a good awareness of what can I do at a state law. And what can I do with a federal law? And then how do I make the process super simple for the customer so that we're doing it uh, correctly, but we're also doing it as quickly as possible. So it's been, it's been a fun journey. It's hard to believe I'm almost at 20 years doing this. I honestly, that wasn't the goal. I, I was in the pharmaceutical industry and had worked in sales and marketing and moved up pretty quick and kind of thought I'd be there forever. And honestly, I got fired for doing this. They said, you, you know, it's a <laughs> reputational risk is the words they used. <laughs> Which yeah. they did me a favor at the time. The wife I thought was going to kick me out of the house. I was highly compensated and very successful in the uh, pharmaceutical industry. So for me to get fired for probably the best job in South Dakota, in her words, was not not the best thing to happen to me. <laughs> well, what I've found is the the best, most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that are willing to leave a situation which to most people would look at and say, "Man, you you really have it good. Why are you trying to be happier than happy?" but then are willing to take that risk and do it. And clearly you've done that and it's worked out really well for you. And we're going to get into, you mentioned process a couple of times. And I, I love that you fell into this really because you had recognized the need that you were facing yourself. Yep. 
and yeah, prairie dogs too by the way you're talking about prairie dogs and i've hunted prairie dogs a couple times and i don't think people who have never done it can appreciate just how challenging and difficult it can be to hunt an experienced prairie dog so we maybe ought to do a whole show on prairie dog hunting <laughs> i like it <laughs> yeah that would be some fun so so tell us uh how has the last year been since we talked to you at silencer central you know, it's been good. I mean, I was sort of buttoning down the hatches. You know, I read the Wall Street Journal every morning. So I was, you know, probably reading it too closely and was expecting a recession. And, you know, even my bank was saying, hey, you know, everyone's be happy if they would break even. So, you know, we've seen a lot of growth. I mean, even in April, we were up 45% compared to last year. So it's been a lot of interest, a lot of growth. I think our biggest challenge at Science Western Central is still getting our name out there. You know, we started as a regional company and sort of grew regionally, and we really didn't take our message to the national level until like 2019. So really only been nationally four years, had a strong, you know, presence in the Midwest and uh, some of the, like, you know, we're based in the Dakotas. So a lot of the geography around us, but so far so good. I mean, I'm still convinced there's a lot of interest out there in suppressors. If you just look at the simple math of there's only about three and a half million silencers that have been sold in the, the history of America and there's 90 million gun owners. So there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of, uh, you know, upside, just, you know, education, help people see the benefit and then let them try it. And once that happens, they usually want another one. Yeah. I want to make sure we have an opportunity to talk about education because I, I know that a lot of people listening to the show are sitting there asking themselves, or you know, I don't I don't know a whole lot about these things. What's the first thing I need to know? And so uh, we've grown over the last year too as a show. So I know we have a lot more listeners now than we talked to you for the uh, when we talked to you the first time. So let's let's do this before we get into talking about uh, kind of what's new in your product line. Let's talk generally about suppressors and so basically just start out with what are the benefits of having one in the first place and also from there what do you typically say to someone who says ah i've just heard it's such a hassle i don't i really don't want to deal with it yeah good question on benefits so um you know the first benefit's very obvious just the you know protecting the ears just the to kind of mitigate the sound you know my experience is almost all hunting is social typically you have someone there and you know you're there with or you're mentoring or you have a friend so to have a situation where you can suppress the rifle that's making the noise and it benefits everyone who's there is a, is a major benefit. I think some people sometimes underestimate until they actually experience it live. So there's a huge benefit of protecting your ears. Also, you know, ears of other people that are with you and the ability to communicate back and forth and not have to worry about, you know, wearing the hair protection is huge benefit. The other benefit that I sometimes forget to mention is recoil reduction. I think that, you know, sometimes people will tell you that recoil will negatively impact their accuracy and just sort of negatively impact the experience of a hunter, especially a younger hunter. So to be able to help mitigate that um, is a huge benefit in most people's eyes. A lot of times you can uh, take a caliber maybe higher than you normally would have shot if you can mitigate the recoil. So that's a, you know, a benefit. The other benefit is, um, you know, if you're shooting because the sound of the rifle going off typically won't mask the sound of the bullet impact. And you can tell by the bullet impact, typically whether it's a kill shot, which is obviously very helpful. And, you know, deer hunting, you want to make sure you take the animal ethically. And if it wasn't a good shot, you're able to get back on and, you know, put in another round. So that that's beneficial. You know, the other benefit, a lot of feedback I get is uh, from ranchers and farmers that have to do some culling and, you know, they have to get rid of some does and they 
worry about, you know, it used to take them, you know, several months. Now they can do it in a couple of weeks. Just the ability to take down more animals when they need to, to manage their herds and to have the ability that it doesn't scare the other animals. I'll get calls all the time of a guy will say there was three deer sitting there eating and I shot the middle one and he fell over and the other two just kept eating. It's almost mm. like they, I mean, it, it seems weird because obviously they heard the sound. I mean, the bullet breaks the sound barrier. It's not silent. It just suppresses it, but it's quiet enough. And there's not that loud bang that it doesn't really frighten them. So there's a benefit there. You'll hear people say, you know, I shot at one, I missed it. And then a bigger one came over the hill. So it would have never come over the hill if I had been using a, a non-suppressed firearm. So, um, that's, that's probably the biggest benefits, the feedback I've seen personally and feedback I've gotten from other people. Hello, friends. Today, I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, Silencer Central. So I work with Silencer Central. I can tell you the number one reason is simplicity. I had no idea where to start, but they simplify the process. They only do silencers. They are experts. They're ready to listen. They answer your questions. They ship directly to your door. They offer a free NFA gun trust, which that's something you'll learn about as you start to navigate this process. And they also get you going for 25% down. They also offer barrel threading, which is a service that I had done. And they know the rules, which is really critical as you navigate this process. They also prioritize safety and security, and they offer shopping protection. Folks, if you're looking for a suppressor, look no further than Silencer Central. As I said, they're a great sponsor of the NDA. You can find them at silencercentral.com. So to just kind of expand upon that last benefit of decreasing animal awareness that they're being hunted, the one thing that always surprised me is that in areas where bear numbers, especially in like Alaska and Canada, where um, hunters and actually even somewhere where uh, hunters are actually shooting elk and things like that where grizzlies are around they say that that bears more specifically have learned that when there is a shot that's going to result in carrion and they actually come in and that's what a lot of people worry about when they're actually field dressing that animal that a predator could be uh, moving in and come up on them and actually create a dangerous situation so i could really see that being a benefit in those situations yeah, I've heard people call it a dinner bell. You shoot and they, yeah. can, they can hear it. Then, um, you know, it's interesting because um, one of the last states, so they're, you know, they're legal in 42 states, suppressors, and they're legal for hunting in 41 states. And one of the states that was a holdout for a while, oddly enough, was Montana. And I think it was the game fishing parks. They felt like, you know, if people were elk hunting or whatever kind of hunting, they could tell where they were by the shot. Um, and I think eventually they got the same idea that you're talking about there, where it was bringing in uh, a bear to eat dinner when they heard that shot. So they eventually, um, you know, went along with uh, hunting suppressed. And now, you know, 40, the only state that you can't hunt in with a suppressor is uh, Connecticut, where they're legal. I was thinking about the recoil. And so I was having this conversation with uh Hank Forrester, our director of hunting here, runs our field to fork program. And he said something to me that I never really thought of, but I 100% agree with it. And that is, he said, a lot of recoil is perceived because of the sound of the weapon. Ah, good point. Yeah. And so having shot suppressed uh, rifles as well as those without, I think there, I, I, when I shoot a suppressed rifle, I know the recoil is less, but I also, uh, I think the noise does have something to do with it. So I'm not sure if that's something you've heard uh, as well. No, that's a good point. I like that. Cause even like personally, I find sometimes if, 
you know, if you don't have a bullet in there, but you think you do and you pull it, you feel yourself jerk it or you almost, you're like anticipating a blast when it's not, you know, there, there isn't one because you didn't have a bullet in the chamber. But yeah, I agree. That's a good point that when you hear the sound, that's what's causing the, you know, the recoil. It's just, you're, th you're thinking about it too much. Well, and I'll jump in there as well because I've done a lot of handgun shooting and so is my daughter that when you do have exceptional hearing protection which diminishes the actual sound it actually takes your brain into a different place so you can actually be a lot more aware of your sight picture because your brain is uh it gets trained to expect that explosion and to hopefully like the way i think what your brain does is almost try and protect you from it and that's where people develop target panic or flinching as you mentioned brandon but the one thing, and, I, and the reason I agree with what Hank said is because I actually put um, silicone ear plugs in my ears, like in the ones that people use when they're swimming to keep water out of their ears, but they do a really good job at uh, sound suppression. And then I put muffs over top and literally it actually would make the sound of a handgun right in front of your face so negligible that you can, you can, your level of concentration, the lack of that explosion that's perceived allows you to actually get get back on target a lot faster so i can i can see where that is even though we don't have you know research to back that up but i can see where that is an actual thing from my own personal experience yeah that's good insight so take us through the process as i said when i was kicking off the question i i have heard and have even thought myself before having gone through the process that man it just seems like i'd love to have one but it just seems like such a hassle and so to me, this is the absolute beauty of what you've created. So what do you say to someone that says to you, Brandon, I hear you. I mean, I, I like the idea of them, but I just, it just seems like so much to go through. Yeah. You know, I would say that's probably one of the biggest obstacles. I would say that's like the person that's on the fence is they know the benefits, you know, anyone that likes to shoot would love to mitigate sound and recoil. So they, they love the benefits of it, but I agree it's the hassle. And I think a lot of it, you were talking earlier about education. I think a lot of it's unknowns. They don't know enough about like what the process is, how it works, how much data you have to give, who's going to have access to it. There's a lot of unknowns there that create the issue too. The first thing I tell people is um, I've been doing this a long time and I have yet to find not one person you know, we're selling a hundred thousand of these a year. I've not found one person that has said, I wish I hadn't done it after they go through, you know, no one likes the process when they're in it, but once they get it and they shoot it, they're like, wow, I wish I'd done this 10 or 15 years ago. But to your point on the process, um, because my insight, I mean, I feel like I have a different insight than most people in the industry, because for really, you know, the last 18 years, I've worked shows and events face to face with customers. So, um, you know, we're not just a dealer with people coming to the, you know, to the counter. We're not just a manufacturer who's making stuff and then selling it to a wholesaler. You know, we actually worked, you know, boots on the ground, direct to consumer discussions. And I always hear that's the biggest obstacle. So when we walk them through that, you know, at a show, it's easy because we can do everything at the show for them. So when they leave the show, it's all done. So that's a, a simple discussion. It's harder sometimes to convince people that we can make it simple. So what I try to tell them is, you know, during COVID, our process was super popular because you didn't have to leave your couch. We could help you do everything remotely because we're licensed in 42 states. And, you know, we have physical locations in every state, but just geographically, it doesn't make sense for everyone to try to come to us. So 100% of our process is sit from the couch and execute. And, 
if you can convince people, hey, we have a touchless process that we drive the process. So if we need some from you, we're reaching out to you saying, hey, we just need you to sign this digitally or we just need you to do this. Um, I think that you know, I've had people call me and say, gosh, you guys keep calling and reminding me about this. Uh, I'm glad you did, even though, um, you know, it, it's almost like they're like frustrated that they haven't done it sooner, but they're so excited that we're actually holding them accountable. It's like, there's some people you can just tell they're not good with paperwork. So when we say, hey, we've sent it to you digitally, we need you to sign it. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. I get it. I got to do that. So um, I, I just find that once people, you tell them that you're handholding them the whole time and that we're driving the process and that you can do it 100% from your couch, then people are like, okay, I'm interested. Sometimes if you go into too much detail, then they sort of get sucked into that. Okay, this sounds this sounds more involved than I thought. So I try to keep it really simple that we manage the whole process. We can do it all digitally. It can all be done from the comfort of your couch. And then the suppressor is mailed from Silencer Central to your front door. So you don't have to come get it anywhere too, which is, um, I would say that was a big struggle in the beginning, just from a credibility standpoint, because if people had not heard of Silencer Central, and then I had to convince you I could mail it to your front door, there was a lot of skepticism. I know at one point ATF told me they were getting about 500 calls a week. Like, how does he, how does he do this? Is this legal? Like, why do you let him do that? You should go shut this guy down. I mean, you know, there's just a lot of skepticism. And I think most of them were probably dealers because, right. you know, guys are going in and saying, hey, this guy's going to mail it to my front door. Why should I buy from you? And he's like, oh, he can't do that. Don't listen to him. <laughs> well, I'm going to change this up a little bit because I was going to ask you next about what you're excited about in the product line right now. But I want to stay on process because yeah. um, I personally have gone through the process. And so after we had the first podcast uh, number 27 with you, uh, I wanted to go through the entire process. And so not only just uh, well, what I got with uh, what you sent me is the Banish 30. And so that started the process. Okay, we need to, uh, we need to go through the steps to do that. But I also sent a rifle in to you all to get threaded. Oh, for yeah for for this for the silencer and so i thought this is going to be great because i'm going to get asked questions about this and i want to go through the entire process and be able to explain to people how it went so uh so initially as you said it does seem like you get a, you know, a fair number of emails to take you through the process but that's good because i know i'm somebody that needs reminded and every one of them were so clearly articulated that even for someone that may struggle with, with paperwork, it's right there. And, and by the way, if there's something you don't understand, you're encouraged to get in touch and somebody will help you. And so that sort of kicked off the process of getting one, establishing a trust and the whole, that whole process. As far as sending the gun in, I had, I had a brand new, I'd had it for a few years, just sitting in a box, uh, 270 rifle, yeah, uh, Browning rifle that, I thought, well, you know what? This is the perfect gun to go ahead and go through this with. And so I was a little nervous, admittedly, but your folks were so helpful. Uh, I, I boxed the gun up. I sent it in. And as comfortable as I was, I'm still like, all right, I really hope this thing comes back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. And it's just like, it, but, you know, not only did it come back, I got communication the whole way through the process, rifle received, work done on rifle, rifle on the way back to you. And it was fast. I did not expect it to be that fast. I mean, it was very fast. I don't remember the exact timeline, but I know it way exceeded my expectations. And then from there, it literally was just waiting through the rest of the paperwork process. So you send me out the information to, to make sure the information's completed, the fingerprinting. And then it does get to a point where you're just waiting. And I will say, and you're waiting on the ATF, right? So yeah. 
that's the worst part of the process, but that part of the process has nothing to do with you. It's silence right. or central. And so I did that. And by the way, I want to say every time you post a picture of you holding a big stack of approvals, I love that. You got that. Yeah, totally. You're yeah, about totally, to make it. Totally. Yeah. I get more comments about that. You know, now they come digitally, so I can't do that anymore. And something I don't tell most people is um, I know the person who's like the head of the branch who does those. And she said it builds so much morale when I send them to her. I text them to her and she sends them to her team because I said, hey, we appreciate it. You know, some people that follow me on Facebook are like, why would you thank somebody for taking, you know, nine months to approve something? I'm like, well, at the end of the day, they're understaffed and, and I, I can't fix that. So I just appreciate them doing them. And hopefully they, you know, they feel that and they want to help us get more through, you know? Yeah, I mean, and that's just it. That's that's the right mindset. Your your attitude towards it is infectious too, because as you talk about that, and I've seen you talk about that, that's how I felt about it. It's like it'll get here when it when it gets yeah. here. I survived my whole life without it before it got here. I can certainly wait nine months. And um, and anyway, so it, it was like Christmas then earlier this year. I get a notice, and I it just I wasn't even thinking about it at that point. But they said, hey, you've got an approval. And within a few days of that, I got a note from your folks saying it's on the way. Cool. And it showed up beautifully boxed. And I, I'm ashamed to say I haven't put it on and gone and, and shot yet. Uh, I need to get a scope for the gun, but I'm excited <laughs> to do it. And so anybody that's hesitant out there about the process, feel free to email me directly as a customer of Silencer Central. And I will explain to you the whole thing and I think make you feel a lot more comfortable about doing this. So thanks to you, Brandon, and your team for just making it such a painless and simple process. No, absolutely. That's um, like I said, the excitement for me and like sort of the um, self-fulfillment for me is I do see a lot of people who don't, they're not interested in going through the process or they're concerned about it, but then when they go through it, how excited they are after they actually use it. So that's kind of where I get the, you know, the positive feedback. So that that's good to hear you had a good process. And then I look forward to hearing how it works on that 270. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We need to make this a regular conversation. We can update people on what's going on. So totally. uh, Speaking of which, what are you excited about this year? What do you got in the product line that people need to know about? And you know, what's what's moving well for you? Yeah, you know, I don't think I talked last time about the uh, backcountry. So it's really focused specifically for hunting. And um, I'll tell you like my personal story on it. So my daughter and I were going hunting and um, this was her first hunting experience. We went down to FTW and when I got there, my staff had already gotten all the rifles sighted in, put the silencers on their scopes. They've got me spoiled. So I looked down and I saw our banished backcountry. My first my first thought as, you know, a consumer was, okay, that looks awful short. I'm afraid it's going to be loud. That's just honestly oh, what I was thinking. Because for years, I have always sold the longer version. So um, I have to say, my daughter shot a black buck and she absolutely loved, you know, that backcountry. Um, it's amazing how quiet we're able to get that suppressor as short as it is. It's only five and a half inches. So I'm hundred percent honest that when I saw that my rifle, I'm like, Oh no, I've got the loud one. But after I shot it, I was so impressed. I was like, man, this is going to be the only one I use. So I went to Africa this year. That's what I used. Uh, that's what I used on the bear. So I use that prairie dogs. I use it for everything. So the, the, 
Um, the banished backcountry, as you'd expect, is super lightweight. You know, it's like 7.8 ounces. I saw an author write an article recently. He said it's lighter than your than your cell phone. And I weighed my cell phone. And with my case on my cell phone, he's right. The silencer is lighter <laughs> than, than my cell phone. You know, it's five and a half inches. So by the time you screw it on, you know, close to an inch, you're not going to have that much length on the end. So it's been fun to see that do well. I mean, the hard part is it takes, you know, seven, eight months. There's really not many people who have one yet. We, we, you know, what's weird is we're starting to see some batch approvals. So meaning that like, let's say you bought a silencer in January, February, March, and April, they would approve all of them at once, which just seems weird. But the ATF has to pay the FBI to do the background check. And if you have several in the system, some, not always, but sometimes you'll see they'll batch them together, just pay for one background check and approve them all at once. So we've got some people out there using them, but um, the backcountry has done really, really well. So well, that I see other people, uh, other manufacturers making, you know, like uh, copies, because they see it is doing so well and it i'd say that's a big obstacle for hunters they're always worried about adding extra length and weight to the end of their barrels so to have an all titanium silencer that's you know that lightweight and it, it's hearing safe on a um like a 300 remington ultramax so that's a that's a pretty powerful um cartridge mm. to be able to bring down to hearing safe so brandon you um uh, mentioned something there that i want to just ask a question about for sure. curiosity's sake is you've talked about repeat customers and yes. when you when you mentioned the batch approvals that made me think do you see a faster turnaround if someone has already gone through the process with a suppressor and orders their second one where that paperwork is sped up because um they, are they flagged some way with atf where they're like yeah. okay we've already approved them once uh we'll just do a an abbreviated version of their um Boy, i wish yeah, I wish. No, unfortunately, we haven't seen, you know, any type of like speed up for a second customer or like the second time around. You know, honestly, what what the biggest, not the biggest holdup, but one of the, like if you and your neighbor both applied at the same time, and if you saw a difference in the approval, it's because of the background check. So 35% of people, when they get a background check, if they have a common name, then there might be a felon with the same name and a similar date of birth, and then they have to manually review it and actually look at it. And that takes a while because the ATF's priority is the dealers that are selling handguns and long guns at a local store and the silencers, there's no statutory requirement that, that the FBI has to manually look at them. So they kind of do them after the fact, but, um, yeah, I wish there was a quicker way. I mean, we are seeing the approvals come through quicker. You know, we get four or 500 approvals a day. So um, there's been times when we were getting, you know, uh, you know, 100 or 200 a day. So it's, I've seen an increase. I think that they're working better with the FBI. They'll send batches. They'll send, you know, all the, you know, background checks at once that they have to get them done. And then once they get the background done, they're approving them a little bit quicker. So the only thing that really slows them up is, if you've been arrested, typically they have to look and see how it ended. You know, like if you were arrested, what did, what was the end result? Is it something that would prohibit you from owning a firearm? And then if you have a similar name to a felon, but um, you know, our error rate right now is at like 0.02%. And really the only time we get denials is if it's a background check, if someone, you know, can't legally own or possess it. So other products, other things that you want to, uh, this is your opportunity to brag about some of the stuff you're doing. Uh, the, the length on the on the suppressor to me is a, is a key one, and that's something that I think consumers are going to get excited about because I've seen where the guns can get a little long with the longer ones. Yeah. So that's that's certainly a big advancement. What else? 
Yeah, what's interesting is a lot of manufacturers are coming to us too and saying, hey, you know, we're starting to shorten up our barrel to accommodate the suppressor and we're putting a faster twist rate. So it's interesting how you're seeing an evolution of even the rifle manufacturers based on the sort of a quick adoption and people start to use suppressors for hunting. So that's that's exciting. And it's good too if people buy a rifle, it's already threaded, then maybe they're thinking, well, I wonder what goes on here. Oh, how about a suppressor? So that's that's been a positive to see the market grow there. Trying to think of other things. I mean, I, you know, what I guess I'm most proud of is that, you know, you had good luck with the process because, of course, all that was happening behind, you know, I, I had no awareness of it. There was no way I could tell people that, you know, make sure Nick has a great experience. So it's good that you had a great experience. But what I'm excited about is, you know, when I first created this business model, honestly, I just threw humans at it. I just said, hey, I'm going to throw as many people as I can to make sure it works. And after I get it to work, then the goal is how do we automate it? So I've seen an evolution internally, how we've been able to automate so many processes. You know, we can do a thousand applications a minute with the ATF's website. So we're able to submit applications very, very quickly through a digital process. So that's been exciting. And it's not that, you know, we want to try to get rid of employees. It's just the the computer doesn't make any errors. Um, you know, it just... It just pulls the data from the system and puts it into the ATF's um, computers. And when it's done by, you know, computer to computer, there's no errors where there's always going to be human error if someone's data entering it in. So I've been excited to see, you know, that progress well. You know, it's good feedback for you to talk about the emails that come. They're very clear. You know, I have like a director level employee that um, reports directly to me and her whole role is just the customer experience. So she reads every one of those um, emails that are sent out. She makes sure they're fine-tuned at a you know a grade level based on you know what consumers would be, and ensures that if we get you know uh, you know push back a negative review or something, how do we fix that in our process internally so no one else has to experience it? So this year, what's been good for me is just that um, you know continuity of good customer experience. And you ask about repeat buyers, forty percent of our sales is repeats. So. Um, our goal is to have a good process so that when people go through it, then they want another one, but then also that they refer their friends. So that's kind of been our whole business model of how do we create a good process so that people are comfortable enough to buy another one. Cause we'll keep everything on file for a customer. Once they buy, we have your fingerprints on file digitally. We have your photo digitally. We have the you know free gun trust that we create for you digitally. And we're able to upload all that to the ATF. So on the question of it's quicker with the ATF, no, but it's quicker with us because we'll have everything where we can turn it on a dime just to resubmit it to the ATF very quickly. You know, the one thing you ask about sort of tuning our own horn, you know, we're really proud about the amount of um, money that we've given to conservation this year. I think, you know, we're only in July and we've already given close to $2 million to conservation. And I know that we work with you all directly. And really the model is that we give free suppressors to local conservation groups and chapters. So when they have, uh, any type of auction or any kind of charitable event, we give them 100% of whatever that suppressor sells for on auction. And, uh, you know, we're finding it's being extremely well adopted just because there's really no other company that's going to give you something where you can auction, you get to keep 100% of the proceeds. So that's really caught on. And it's been, you know, great for us, A, to have a chance to give back, but also, as you were talking about earlier, just from an educational standpoint, making sure that people know that you can use them for hunting. They know the benefits of using them for hunting. And then hopefully at these events, I feel like you know, if there's 300 people in attendance, they get to hear our name, name that we're, you know, A, donating something, and then B, there's a customer who actually gets it, goes through the process, who could then speak to it next year to the group about how the process went for them. So it's been a really good, good, you know, good win-win opportunity for us. And we're excited about, you know, kind of patting ourselves on the back to be able to give that much back as, you know, just one company. So Nick, I want to jump in here and ask you a question since you've gone through this process. So 
if you had to pick one thing from stop to start going through this process from very first step to actually when you opened up and put your hands on the suppressor and, and threaded it onto your rifle barrel, what's the, the most memorable thing that actually stands out in your mind when I say, okay, what'd you think about, what did you think about the process? Yeah, I actually have two, and I and I, I'm going to come back to what Brandon said there about conservation because it's 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 critical, and I want to I want to close with that. But that's a that's a great question, Mike. And so there were two. I think number one was just the the initial sort of entry into the process. I felt so informed that I never at any point felt like I didn't know where I was in the process. Or, so that was number one. But number two was definitely when it arrived. And so it's like Christmas, right? Because not only you have this beautiful item, impactful item coming, but it's packaged so well. Like even Brandon, I got to tell you, like that process of like going through and taking it out of the package, that was a pretty awesome experience for an old guy that doesn't get excited about a whole lot anymore. Cool. That's cool. You yeah, those that's kind of a jewelry box that we had made kind of after what a scope box would look like. So I remember when I first the, the marketing team first presented to me and they're like, you know, they're like $14 a box. And I'm like, we got to do it, man. Someone waits a year or six months, nine months, whatever. They, they want it to be impactful. They want it to be a good experience. Yeah, that was, that was impactful. And then to your point about uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, word of mouth advertising, which we know still really is king. Uh, so I have many times recommended your company to people who have asked me about suppressors many, many times. And, and this was an interesting one. It was, it was uh, recently I was out uh, golfing and one of the, it came up in conversation in our, in our foursome. And one of the people said that they had just gotten a, or just gotten their suppressor. And I said, Oh, I said, well, where did you get it? And he said, silencer central. And so he and I start talking about that. And then the other two guys that are with us, they, well, Hey, I've been interested in, uh, getting one too, but I didn't really know where to start. And so now you've got two of us there that are talking about your process. And so the right there in front of me, I'm watching this play out and I'm sure this plays out all over the place. And then to your point about giving back to organizations. So when we have one of your products able to get out to our folks to use in fundraising, and by the way, these are very high value items. And so they do bring a lot of support to the organization. Um, it also now puts something in front of a person that they may have been reluctant to do it on their own, but now they've won this thing. Yeah. And now they've got to go through the process. So it sort of leads them through the process. And now you've got another customer out there that can speak to that process. And so in addition to getting it in front of people, it's just done so much for us, our organization. We always tell our listeners please support the people that support conservation. And it doesn't even have to be the NDA because I know that you're also uh, very involved with many other organizations. So that's a, just a big thank you on behalf of the NDA and the other organizations that you see the importance of that being a big part of the DNA of Silencer Central. Yeah. No, we appreciate that. No, it's been, you know, it's funny. I had a gal that worked for me years ago and she said, you're going to go bankrupt doing that. You know, I, I I didn't ask for feedback, but that was her feedback to me. And I told her, hey, I see it as a marketing expense. I mean, if you can get your name out there in front of the right audience, the target audience, that's worth so much. And then for them to have a good experience and then be able to tell their friends about it, um, it feels like it's worked out really well. 
Yeah, I think you go bankrupt if you don't do those things. Yeah, good boy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and you totally recognize that. So I want to I want to close with this, Brandon. And again, thank you so much for your time. And uh, you, you've got a lot of approvals, hopefully, to deal with there. But um, I want to just point people to the website, uh, silencercentral.com. It is just a wealth of information. Even if you're not ready to be in the market yet, check it out. Uh, right off the bat, when you go to the website, you have this opportunity to just sort of do a you know a little self quiz about what you what you might be interested or may need. Uh, it just just basically says get started today. A nice red box there. It's simple uh, for you to check out. So I'd encourage you to go there for lots of great information. Uh, and anything else you want to add to that, Brandon? No, I can't think of anything. I mean, um, you know, one recommendation is for people to call in. I just feel like that people get a better experience if they have a person that they talk to. And then they have a person that they can reference if they have any questions. Um, and I get some people only buy online and don't want to talk to anyone. But you know, sometimes it's good when you're going through a process to be able to, you know, have one point of contact that you call or text or say, hey, just want to run this by here. Like you said, barrel threading or, you know, adapters or, you know, it seems like things come up or, hey, I want to add someone to my trust. How do I do that? We'll do it for you. But, you know. It, 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 I don't discourage people. Hey, just pick up the phone and call us. Even if you're not planning on buying something, just talk to us. And I think that people will learn a lot. Like a lot of people think that I have to have one silencer per rifle. And then once you explain to them, you can buy a 30 cal and use it on almost every rifle in your entire safe. Then it kind of opens their eyes like, wow, I wish I'd known that sooner. So there's a lot to be learned. It's not a sales pitch to call us. It's more just to, hey, you know, create a personal contact and then you'll have someone to talk to when you decide to move forward. Or if you do move forward that throughout the process, you have a point of contact to reach out to. Okay. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. So Brandon, thanks again for your time. We appreciate your support here at the NDA and all you do for conservation. And hey, let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, guys. Great to have Brandon back on the show again. He's really a fun guy to talk to, big outdoorsman himself, his personal story of how he ended up running and starting and running Silencer Central is also pretty neat. I'm glad he reminded us of that. And Mike, I enjoyed being able to share my personal journey because I don't know about you, but pretty much anymore these days, I order something online. I go through and read everybody's reviews because I'm curious what they say. So there I was able to give a personal review. Exactly. And firsthand accounts is always something to me that means a little bit more than trying to interpret what an online review might be because that person might have had a, a secondary agenda, might have had an odd situation where they might not have been the best customer and weren't satisfied and then therefore just kind of internet trolled a review. So you never know. No, you don't. And, and believe me, I would have been very reluctant to give a review if it was a bad one. I mean, full disclosure, Silencer Central is a sponsor of the NDA, as they are many other organizations, but it truly was a really easy and good experience for me. So if, if you're sitting there on the fence and kind of deciding whether or not it's something you want to do, it has my full endorsement. Uh, absolutely. Mike, I got my food plot seeds, got a shipment in from Whitetail Institute the other day. Last year, I planted on... Uh, August 13th, as I go back and look at my pictures this year, I'm looking at trying to do it either the 11th or the 12th. So less than two weeks from now. And, uh, I'm hoping that this rain band that we've been in continues, but it's always a nervous time, uh, when you get to this point in the year and, and you're thinking about planting. So kind of where, where are you at on that spectrum? All of my plots are prepped. I mean, I have what, one, two, three, that are no-till that I just have to spread the seed, go in there and uh, crimp, and I should be good. But then I have a plot that has been 
I left it fallow probably for about two or three years and I've terminated it and I'm going to go in do some minimal tillage and spread seed but that'll be completely dependent upon when I know there's going to be enough consistent rain coming so anywhere between like you said now and I've planted as late as September 10th so I'm just re I'll just be ready to go yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. You can, you can plant in the second week of August, and if it doesn't rain till the first week of September, <laughs> I mean, pretty much you've just put your seed out there to sit there. Um, and so, yeah, the rain is a, certainly a key thing. Man, if someone would have planted this weekend, I know it's still a little bit early, but in this part of the world anyway, we got an awful lot of rain, and so they're living large right now. Yeah, I'm not doing any any heavy disking or tillage at all this year, so I'll be going in and I'll be sp spreading the seed and right into the the tall grasses and things that are there, I got some some old uh, wheat that's still standing and some other things, and then I'll go in and I will. I don't have a crimper, but what I'll do is I'll take my call to packer on my ferminator and just run that right over, get everything knocked down, broken up, and then I'll come in and spray it, and that freaks people out because they say, "Well, whoa, what do you mean you're going to put seed down and you're going to spray on top of it?" Well, that's that spray is not going to impact your seed. And what that what those grasses are going to do is they're going to serve as a really nice sort of protector to hold moisture down in the soil, and it also helps you build up soil health. And I'm always I always wonder like what what order I should do those things in. And so it came up in the last deer steward class when I was out in Missouri. So I actually asked Craig Harper to answer that question in front of everybody so that they understood it. Uh, and so that's exactly what he told me to do. And I can't think of any better advice than that. Um, I'm also thinking about one where I may just I'm, I'm planning to just go ahead and, and broadcast just with my uh, Hoyman electric uh, spreader, chest spreader, but I'm also might going to try to plant some with the Ferminator too, right into those grasses and just see if it makes any difference to see which one works better. Yeah, I like little experiments because everyone's location, soil, equipment's a little bit different, and there's nothing wrong with using a little bit of ingenuity and in seeing if you can figure out something that works extremely well in your location that's how that's how this information actually expands and grows so nothing wrong with being a little bit of a mad scientist every now and then yeah you definitely got to experiment and you know you want to you don't want your whole season to be an experiment because if it goes bad you could be in trouble but definitely experiment if you got some multiple areas i'm going pretty heavy on brassicas and cereal grains for this fall uh, last year, I learned something on my back plot. I had brassicas in a in couple sections and the grains in another, and they really, the bucks especially, were hammering those grains even more than the brassicas. So that's kind of my planning plan this year. Mike, what are you going to be doing? Um, for me, it's going to be very much the same, I, but I am going to probably try and plant a little bit of ice cream here and there. Um, some Austrian winter peas are going to be their treat this year. I always try and rotate a uh, just a different version of a crop something that my neighbors might not have etc so that's this year's ice cream yeah well we are getting very close to food plot plant matter of fact our next show when it hits will be we'll, we'll probably be able to talk about planting we've already done hopefully if things go well hey speaking of projects mike and if anyone's following my social media i know some of you are uh with all this rain in the area it was very difficult to find a window to punch a hole through the roof of my cabin <laughs> but we picked the day and so there it was uh, we got the stove pipe put the chimney through the roof of the cabin 
Uh, now it did pour down rain later that afternoon, but I did this, the sealant did dry before it rained. So I, I did check that out and was okay. But man, I've, that's a project that I don't think many people do more than maybe once in their life. Maybe, you know, maybe a couple times. I was a little nerve. It was nerve wracking, even though it wasn't a terribly difficult project. Well, anytime that you're dealing with, like for me, my things are plumbing, electricity, and fire. Anytime you're dealing with those three things, my level of awareness is always heightened. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you do have to do it correctly just to ensure a certain amount of safety. But like you said, it's not a very difficult project just with some minor tools, a little bit of planning. It can be done by almost anybody. And YouTube is your friend. I watched them several different installations of what I was going to be doing. And by the time I got in there, I had it pretty much figured out and everything went according to plan. Um, so now it's really just about continuing to build the hearth out. And so it's, it's funny because partway through the project, I was like, I should, I should have just had electric heaters wired and I wouldn't have to worry about this. But to me, there's just something about the smell of a fire in a, in a camp that I think you have to have those two things together. I think it just changes the dynamic. So I don't know. I think it's going to be worth the effort in the end. Well, what if the electricity goes out? You know, it's just one of those things where it's a nice little backup. You have the acreage, which means literally your limbs and trees are falling almost annually. So you're going to have, a, I don't want to say an endless supply, but a decent supply of fuel. Why not? Yeah. So I know it seems like a lot of work right now, but I think it'll come around. So what's up for you right now, Mike? What are you up to? What are you working on? I am coming to a rapid close to my honeydew list. So I'm tiling our laundry room today we painted it yesterday I, I did the demolition everything yesterday and we painted it and i'm dropping the tile in today so i got a couple more jobs to do and then i'm strictly focusing on the upcoming hunting season and getting back to work which is technically two weeks from now it's funny you're talking about honeydew list because i assume a lot of people listening here are thinking you know what i have this list of things that i need to get done before fall gets here and so we all play that game, right? Where we got to get these things knocked out so that come hunting season, when you do have some free time, you can actually get out and get in the woods. So it sounds like you're right on task there. I am. I've been really buckled down, but I'm dialed in right now. And like I said, today is tiling day and then it just has to cure and then I'll grout. And literally, I just got a few more small things to do and I'm done. Awesome. Well, I better get on mine too, because I don't know, the list seems to get longer than my ability to keep up with it. So... Uh, at any rate. Hey, folks, uh, just a couple announcements here from the National Deer Association. Uh, as we've mentioned on previous shows, I'll just remind you our membership changes have taken full effect. So jump over there and, and take advantage of that. Just go to deerassociation.com and click on the join button. We have options that range from free to premium to life. If you want to do that life membership, we, and I just got another one in my inbox this morning, you're going to get that nice bolt action Howa rifle along with it. And so we've never done that type of deal before. A lot of people are taking advantage of it. You can get a 308 or a 6.5 Creedmoor. This isn't really an NDA announcement, but just sort of a point of interest. Uh, folks who may have watched the British Open saw that Brian Harmon was the winner of that. And Brian actually uh, is an NDA member and has been to NDA events. And so that's pretty cool for him. And uh, he's taken some scrutiny for being a hunter. I mean. My goodness, what a terrible thing you could yeah, ever, ever do. What a shame. <laughs> but at any rate, he's taken a little flack for that. But uh, he's stood up proudly and said, you know what? I'm proud to be a hunter. 
and I'm glad that he is interested in what the National Deer Association is doing. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and so that's about it. That's what we have uh, for today's show. Uh, folks, we do appreciate you listening. Uh, be sure to tune in again in a couple weeks here, getting closer and closer to hunting season. So you're going to hear some very pertinent hunting-related topics. And hopefully you're getting out and uh, sort of stretching your legs a little bit, shooting your bow, shooting your gun, getting prepared for the upcoming season. Thanks again for listening, folks. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer. Deer.